Welcome to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Peter Spiegel. We have a very good show in store for you today, and we are going to begin in a moment by speaking about blowing the whistle on illegal activities relating to animals and the environment. I want to remind you, please remember to follow us on Facebook at Advancing the Interests of Animals. Listen to Animals Today at AnimalsTodayRadio.com. And of course, subscribe on iTunes so you can take the show wherever you go. We have covered whistleblowing in past shows and specifically anti-whistleblower laws that are being considered or that have been passed, which criminalize certain activities related to documenting and reporting what happens behind the scenes in factory farms. So Lori and I were very interested to be contacted by that National Whistleblower Center to tell us about their wildlife whistleblower program and the role of whistleblowing in fighting large-scale abuses of animals and the environment. I want to welcome attorney Mira Gajar, who is with the Wildlife Whistleblower Program. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Can you begin by telling us about the National Whistleblower Center, how long it's been around, and what it does? Sure. It is um, a whistleblower education and advocacy organization that has been operating since 1988. And while it started you know, focused on some of the more classic whistleblower laws like the False Claims Act and the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Very recently, our executive director realized that there are whistleblower provisions that already exist in animal protection laws, such as the Endangered Species Act and the Lacey Act. So he started researching these laws to see if they've been used effectively by the government agencies in charge of implementing the laws, and he realized that they they haven't been used. And so he's been trying to figure out how to get the government to buy into using whistleblowers to stop wildlife trafficking. Why the need for a specific program? You call it the Wildlife Whistleblower Program. The implementing agency usually creates an office or designates staff people that will, um, you know, create rules and processes to actually facilitate a whistleblower making a report to the government. And then, um, you know, then those staff members are in charge of assessing the report and deciding whether enforcement action is necessary or if there's enough information to take enforcement action, things like that. And so what's happened in the case um, under the wildlife laws is nothing has happened. The, the primary agencies, the Fish and Wildlife Service and the National Marine Fisheries Service have um, essentially done nothing to implement the laws. And so this program was created by the National Whistleblower Center because there's a lot to, of work to be done to try and um, not only get the government to implement whistleblower offices so that there's some place for whistleblowers to go, but also we are contacting environmental and conservation NGOs all over the world and letting them know that these types of rewards are potentially available to them or to the people on the ground that they know. Um, We are also building a network of attorneys to represent potential whistleblowers because it's essential to have proper legal representation, knowledgeable representation because you're dealing with the government and you, you know, you want to make sure that you have someone in your corner that's looking after your interests. So it's a, it's a program because there are a whole lot of different things that we're trying to do to um, really make this 
um, an active tool to go after trafficking. How important is it for people to act as whistleblowers in animal welfare and environmental cases? Where do they fit? There are definitely environmental whistleblowers. You know, you can think of people like Aaron Brockovich that realized that whole communities were being poisoned and they, um, you know, they took the knowledge that they had and, and took action. And so while there have not been too many cases in the wildlife context Yet, we're really hoping that, that we are able to turn this into a very effective tool um, to, to enforce the laws and, and get these traffickers out of operation. And I, I know you mentioned some of the ag-gag laws. I mean, ag-gag laws wouldn't be necessary if the undercover work that is done by the, um, the people filming what's going on in factory farms wasn't so effective, right? right. I mean, that's why everyone panics and they, they don't want to show what's actually happening. So it's, um, it's just it's a very powerful tool. Give us a feeling of the size of the whole enterprise of whistleblowing. I reviewed some of the materials on the website and the, and the table of contents of one of the books that's being offered, and it's an amazingly broad enterprise, isn't it? There are lots of different whistleblower laws um, in all sorts of different sectors. So we have whistleblower laws in the financial sector, ones that target government corruption, ones that target things like um, Medicare and Medicaid fraud, nuclear safety, environmental safety, auto safety, all, all sorts of things. But just to give you an idea, under the False Claims Act, which is just one of the whistleblower laws, mm-hmm. it's, it's the oldest one, actually, over $37 billion has been recovered by the government directly due to the information that whistleblowers have provided from 1987 to 2016. So that's a, that's a huge number. And then out of that 30 Seven, um, over $37 billion, the government has paid over $6 billion in rewards to those whistleblowers. Whistleblowers are responsible for 71% of the funds that the government has been able to recover um, under the False Claims Act. So it's, it's huge, and the government has definitely recognized that whistleblowers can really step up their enforcement game, because who better to tell you what's happening in a criminal enterprise than a person that's either engaging in the criminal activity himself or someone who's just really close to it and who observes it um, on a regular basis. One of the examples also referred to, although not happening in the U.S., involves the vaquita, that little porpoise that's just about to go extinct, and it seems like it's a missed opportunity for whistleblowers to have uh, stepped up if there was a mechanism that they could rely upon. Absolutely, and that's that's one of the cases that we pointed to to show exactly what you said. There, there was a huge missed opportunity, and so what happened was there's an organization called Serva that has been tracking the uh, the vaquita's population and the the negative effects of the illegal totoaba um, fishing industry for for decades now. And in one of its reports, I believe it was a 2000. Eight report. They they had this. It was just it was just like a couple of lines in one of the sections of the report, and it said essentially that um, other fishermen that were in the Gulf of California, where the the vaquita lived, were upset that illegal fishermen were able to operate 
um, and they were harming the legal fishermen's livelihood, and they also were able to operate with essentially no consequences. And so that is, that's pretty much the classic whistleblower report. Um, it's, it's people that know exactly what's going on because mm-hmm. they're out there on the water with the illegal fishermen, and then they also are reporting that they're being harmed and that they feel that they have no um, method of stopping the illegal activity, probably because they have knowledge that local law enforcement is either involved in the illegal activity or is not motivated to enforce the law. And so if the Mexican government or the U.S. government had read that and understood that to be a whistleblower um, report, we, we could have contacted the fishermen and basically identified the people that are engaging in this illegal fishing, and they really could have taken strong steps to stop those operations. And unfortunately, the U.S. government um, did, did not do that, and now we're in this situation where we could lose the Vikita, you know, in a matter of days or weeks. So let's say I'm in a position on U.S. soil, maybe at my workplace, where I see something that looks pretty suspicious, possibly illegal, involving animals or the environment. What's the ideal course of action? There are definitely right ways and wrong ways of blowing the whistle. And, of course, with recent events in the news, we can we can see the good examples and the bad examples. So it's really important to go about this in a methodical way. So one of the things that we've done at the National Whistleblower Center is we've created guides that would help potential whistleblowers start thinking about evidence and collecting evidence um, that would show that the law is being violated. So um, the first thing would be to look at some of the guides about the types of evidence to collect. And, you know, as long as it is safe to do so, start collecting evidence, start looking for things that would show a violation of the law so that you can start building a case. The next step is to get in touch with a lawyer. I know that uh, sometimes lawyers are not the most favored members of the community, but, but it's really important to have that legal protection. Yeah. So the lawyer can help guide your efforts, can protect you um, as far as making sure that your report to the government is confidential and then sometimes, anon- uh, in some cases, even anonymous. Uh-huh. Um, and, and a lawyer is just going to have the experience to know exactly which agency to report to, which forms to use, and, and how to do it properly so that you don't make a mistake that somehow disqualifies you as a whistleblower or outs you mm. as a whistleblower yeah. or anything like that. So yeah. it is really important to have... Um, good legal representation and having someone who has expertise in whistleblower law is even better. And then and then your lawyer will um, create the submission that goes to the government. Your lawyer will, you know, work with you to get it signed or whatever needs to happen and then submit it to the government. Experienced whistleblower attorneys are going to know how to check up on cases. They're going to have the relationships with the different enforcement agencies to, um, you know, keep track of what's going on and and use the systems that are in place to make sure that the case doesn't get lost. Mira Gajar, I know we are just scratching the surface here, and it's so interesting. Where can people get more information and learn more about whistleblowing? You can visit our website, whistleblowers.org. That's whistleblowers, plural. Our executive director, 
Stephen Cohn has also just updated his, you know, authoritative handbook for whistleblowers. We also have a lot of the materials from it online that can be accessed as well. Well, thank you very much for joining us on Animals Today and explaining this fascinating topic to us. Thank you, Dr. Steele. For the past quarter century, International Society for Animal Rights has fought the battle against dog and cat overpopulation. Its programs include reducing income taxes by allowing a deduction for spay and neuter expenses, preventing animals adopted from shelters from reproducing, and requiring the mandatory identification of dogs and cats to prevent dumping the unwanted. For a list of all ISAR overpopulation programs, please see their website at www.isaronline.org. Hey, welcome back to Animals Today. Okay, hot weather is here, right, Lori? Yeah. And I want to share with you some crazy scheduled maintenance that happened around here. You know we're coming from the Palm Springs area, Southern California desert, and it's been really, really hot here. And we got a notice from our lovely local electric company that they have a planned maintenance scheduled, and that power is going to be out from 9 o'clock in the morning on the given day, and it might last until 3 p.m., just with the power out. So imagine living through that, and how hot does it get in six hours in the middle of the day? It's just insane. And what do you do with your pets to keep them cool? And you're sort of stuck in the house making sure everyone's okay. And what if you're elderly, or if you've got a baby, or if you're in poor health? It's just a complete disaster that they avoid doing this repair for the eight months out of the year that it could be done reasonably and in good weather until it's super hot. I think it got as high as about 110 that day. Right. And last week it got up as high as 123. Remember that? I, that is just, it's just like... <laughs> you can't even breathe the air. I mean, you can't do anything. And then you'll get this hot breeze that will just knock you down. It's the most incredible thing. Well, we were really housebound, making sure the cats and the dogs were cool. You Imagine you don't even have a fan. I mean, there's nothing you can do ex- except for blast the air conditioner until 9 o'clock to cool down the house as much as you can, keep all the shades drawn. Your refrigerator is, you can't hardly go in there. You're afraid you're going to lose all your food. It's just a, a complete mess. And People were protesting, and you just can't get a good update from the electric company either. They won't tell you anything, and there's no way to talk to a person, and there's no web updates, and your Wi-Fi doesn't work, and it's just a complete mess. And I found myself just hiding in our coolest bedroom in the dark with a wet towel over my nearly naked body just to keep it cool. It was so pathetic and such a waste of time. Oh, I was so angry. Remember, we were talking about the possibility of bringing all our animals to a hotel. I know. And, you know, people have said that, but what a drag, what a project it is. You've got multiple cats, multiple dogs. Just moving them around is is a big chore. Why do you think the city did this? Well, it's not the city because I know that our dear mayor uh, was taking this up with the local utility. So he was not happy about it either because we were not happy. You know, it's a public utility. You know, what do you do? You're, you're, you're hosed. How's that? Yeah. So it made me 
uh, I don't know if you know this, it made me sort of investigate about home emergency generators. And can I tell you a little bit about that in case you've got pets? Okay. It led to a sort of contentious Facebook discussion, too, on my personal page. But I'll tell you that, you know, a lot of people are doing solar conversions now. And uh, I wondered if you could use solar as an emergency backup. And the consensus was it's not really a good idea. If, if you want emergency power, then you really need to get a generator and fuel it with some evil fossil fuel. It also turns out it's much cheaper to just buy an emergency generator and uh, keep some gasoline or, or diesel or propane around in case you need it. But you can't really practically keep your whole house cool. If you've got a moderate or larger sized house, it would be a huge thing that needs to be mounted and you've got to store all this fuel and it's just a, a huge thing. So the advice is you just choose like one room and you make that your sort of safe room and you get one air conditioner maybe one of they call them these mini split air conditioners where half is outside and half is inside and it just runs through a little hole in the wall and a couple of lights and maybe a little refrigerator and that's pretty much what you cool down and you get everyone in there and you just wait it out and that would be useful if there's an earthquake we might have an earthquake down here or if uh if the grid goes out or some other sort of natural disaster. But solar for emergency uses, you can do it with batteries, but it's really not widely practiced because it's just not that, that reliable yet. So maybe we should look into getting a generator in case we have to do this again. Now, of course, not. what if every animal doesn't get along with every other animal? Then you've got a little bit of a difficult to manage situation. You need to have subdivisions in your little room. It's just a mess. So, but it was interesting. I would advise anyone to look into this uh, emergency generator. It's a huge industry. You can, sometimes you need an electrician to get you established. Uh, the prices are not that high. A couple of thousand dollars, you can get a generator. You, now, the things that you'll find is you need a place, you need to choose what fuel you want and you need to decide if you can rely upon the city gas or wherever you get your gas line to be intact. If you think you're going to get gas and you can just plug it into the gas and then you have a nice uh, supply of energy and you don't need to worry about storing fuel like the ones I mentioned earlier, gasoline or diesel or propane. But if you think that, let's say you have an earthquake and all those gas lines are disrupted or they shut shut it down because of fires, that's not going to help you if you're hooked up. So you need to store this energy somewhere, and that's a whole other thing to keep it fresh and to keep it from degrading. A lot of stuff online. It's very confusing. Uh, if we did this, I'd probably want to hire an expert and guide me through this rather than just going online and buying stuff. Then we'd have a bunch of boxes in the garage for a year or two. Right? Right. Now, living in the desert with dogs is always a challenge, particularly if you need to get them out. It's really amazing how much your life revolves around your dogs when it's getting to 110, 120 during the day. So first thing is you need to get out really early. Now, some evenings it just hardly cools down at all, and you can't really have a proper walk. But if, if it gets down to, say, 80, then you can wake up at the crack of dawn 
like 5.30 and get your little sip of coffee and get the dogs out and going because, boy, that temperature really rises fast. And you can't wait until 9 o'clock before you take your walk. The pavement's hot and everyone's just, it's just not a good walk. And same thing in the evening. You're waiting and waiting for it to cool down. And, you know, you really can't take them out till the sun goes down. And then a couple of hours after that, finally it's cooling down. You know, it's like 8 o'clock, 8.30, you can finally take your walk. And, boy, your whole day is just revolved around keeping the dogs happy and a little exercise. I mean, if they don't exercise, it's just chaos in the house. So you gotta, you gotta do it. And uh, if you can teach your dog to swim, if you have a pool, oh, I know we're going to talk about that soon. Stick around. After the break, we've got more discussion about hot weather and your pets and our pets too. You're listening to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and you're listening to Animals Today. We often say that Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, and we certainly cover the most critical and newsworthy topics and issues affecting all animals worldwide. When you join us, you'll hear fascinating interviews with leading animal advocates from all walks of life, from lawyers to whale protectors to authors to tortoise rescuers. Animals Today brings you timely, interesting animal news, and often our guests tell us how we all can take action to help our animal friends. But you know what? Just like you, we also love our companion animals, our dogs and cats and rabbits and more. Listen in and you'll get useful advice from expert veterinarians and animal behaviorists, as well as product news and reviews and more fun stuff. So join us on Animals Today and thanks for listening. Welcome back to Animals Today. It is hot, hot, hot in the Southern California desert, right, Lori? Oh, it's going to be like 118 today? Oh, great. Just another 118 today. <laughs> Talk about having to modify your lifestyle to keep the people and the animals happy and healthy. Really? Now, here are some summertime pet tips, and some of these are from the NHV Natural Pet Products, makers of veterinarian-approved and formulated plant-based natural supplements from organically grown and wild-crafted herbs. Hydrate well. Okay, we all know that. You need to be hydrated well during the heat, and so do your animals. So ensure that your pets have access to water at all times. Try to keep fresh water and cool if possible. You know, put ice cubes in the water. Some some dogs love that. One of our dogs that didn't do well, that no. dog would spit up water. Yeah, it, Paco, it, it upset Paco's stomach to have mm-hmm. the, the water too cool. Yeah. You know, I w- I've always wondered something, and I don't know if you'll have an answer to this, but if dogs have a good sense of when they need to drink, like is their thirst mechanism really attuned to what they really need? You know, a lot of people, they don't think to drink. And, you know, when it's so hot there, you really got to stay ahead of it, you know, and you don't realize your thirst doesn't tell you. And then you get tired and dehydrated. But I wonder if dogs are like that. I don't know. Yeah, Peter, I think they have a tendency and not drink enough to keep them healthy and hydrated well during these hot summer months. Yeah. So as I said, keeping ice cubes in the water, keeping the water a little cooler and in the shade so it's more desirable for them to drink, having it available, multiple bowls out there for them. And on that same note, if you travel with your pet during the heat or if you travel with your pet at all, I mean, always carry a compact, portable pet water bowl and some water. 
Yep, we do that. Yeah. We Our dogs a, get very thirsty when traveling. We have a couple of bowls in the minivan. And talk about traveling. Don't leave your pets in your car. I mean, how many times do we have to say that? Mm-hmm. Even if it's just for a couple minutes, even, mm-hmm. if it, even if it's parked in the shade, and even if the windows are cracked, yeah. right? Yeah. Temperatures elevate quickly in vehicles, and it only takes minutes to cause irreversible organ damage or worse, like death. You know, I saw online people are now getting more attuned to their legal rights to break into a hot car if they see the dog. And one little trick that someone recommended was to just take a photograph or document what the temperature is outside uh, before you break the window so you at least have a piece of evidence. Oh, good idea. So it wasn't like 50 degrees and you felt like breaking it. Ticks and fleas can be more prevalent in the summertime months. Yeah, ticks and Lyme disease that they can carry. Right. So talk to your vet about what you might want to do to stay out of trouble. Right. And you need to know what a tick looks like. Right. Exactly. And if you see one and you get it off or it's fallen off and you got to save it and show it to your vet so, so he or she believes you. Good point. Okay. Know the signs of heat stroke. Excess panting, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Rapid breathing and panting, mm-hmm. reddish tongue, lethargy, vomiting, diarrhea, fatigue or depression, muscle tremors, staggering. Depression. Depression. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So I have heat stroke. <laughs> Excess salivation. I th- really have heat stroke. <laughs> okay. And thickened saliva. All these can be signs of heat stroke. So if you notice any of these signs in your pet's Get him or her to a cool, shaded area immediately. Wrap your dog in a cold, wet towel, especially the underarm, belly, groin area is is a good idea. A fan may be used on the dog during the cooling process and bring your dog to the vet immediately. Heat stroke can be deadly. Oh, one more thing I want to add to this, Peter. You know, people think, okay, they can cool their dogs down enough and not have to take their dog to the vet and avoid some vet charges. But I'll tell you, you can't cool your dog too rapidly. You will cause shock in the dog, so Mm. you can't do that. Mm. Um, Allow access to cool water, but don't force your dog to drink. And so keep your dog cool with the wet towels and bring the dog into the vet. Yeah. You know, when our power went out due to the planned outage of our beloved local electricity. When it was 110 degrees outside? Yes. We also wanted to cool down one of our dogs, our older Susie. And uh, I wish, but we had no power, so I couldn't, I didn't have a fan. We did have ice, which we could have used, didn't need that. We had cool water, so we just used that in a towel. But it would have been great to have like a little battery-powered fan. You know, I would have liked one of those. It also reminded me, I did some further research about these battery and hand crank generated radios. You know, we live in a terrible cell zone and Wi-Fi is not working. I was really isolated. I would have liked a little uh, radio. In fact, we need to get our emergency pack for people and animals really updated. Oh, we definitely have to do that soon. Yeah. Put that on the list. I will put that on your list right away. (laughs) And here's some cooling off aids, right? If possible, get a kiddie pool or the sprinklers, right? Yep, I like that. like that. We had a kiddie pool once. We tried to get Paco into it, I think. He didn't like it. And then it just disintegrated in the hot sun. Yeah. But they're good for one season max, so... We put in a little mister system that keeps the dogs cool, but, you know, we, Peter and I, tend not to leave our dogs out when it's too hot out, That's so right. we just bring them in. Right. 
Now, going back to the idea of putting a cool, wet towel under your dog's body, I mean, this tends to be more comfortable for him or her than their warm bedding or the hot floor. Yeah, our dogs like the cool tile floor. We have ceramic tile, and but that's a nice idea. Just put a little damp towel down there and let's see if they go right on it. I'm going to try that. I'm going to try that right now. Wait, where are you going? I'm not done. <laughs> when the humidity is high, it can cause a pet's temperature to rise because they become unable to cool themselves. Yeah. Body temperatures can rise very quickly and become dangerous, as we spoke about. So be sure to keep your pet indoors and out of the hot sun. That's the bottom you know, line here. You know, just I can't believe that our electric company did what they did to us. It just, just going through this makes me so much more angry at them. They, they wait nine months to do this planned outage. Yes. And then it's shut ma- it. It's just like routine maintenance. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, it's so disrespectful. Now, cats and dogs love to bask in the sun, but too much time in the sun can cause heat stroke and even increase the risk of developing skin cancers. And your dogs sometimes don't know what's too much. Right, Peter? Yeah. Yep. One of our dogs would stay there much longer than than would be good for her. Plus, she does have a very fine coat. Great point, Peter, because pets can get sunburn Mm. and burns, especially to the sensitive areas of their body, like the tip of their ears. And their paw pads are sensitive to hot surfaces. So talking about exercise again, need to limit your exercise on especially these hot days and go for your walks or have your playtime early in the morning or later in the evening when it's cooler and try to keep the exertion level lower. Also, instead of using the sidewalks, go on the grass. It's going to be easier on their paws. And put your palm down on the concrete or the asphalt. If it's too hot for you to step on, then it's too hot for your pets to step on. Yep. And think about bringing that portable water bowl and a bottle of water for your pet, too. Yeah. Now, I want to get back to the idea of swimming dogs, okay? So you and I, in our years together, we've been in Palm Springs. We've always had a pool, like many, many people do. And we've had a series of dogs, and none of them has wanted anything to do with the pool. Now, everyone knows that you have to teach a new dog, if you've got a pool, where the stairs are. So in case they get knocked in and you're not around, they know where to swim to, even if they don't like swimming, where the stairs are so they can get out. So that's the one basic thing about about pools. But we've tried just for fun to get all these dogs to enjoy swimming or to cool down. And we failed and they've bitten us or cried or whatever. So finally... We have a success story, and this is Sky. She is a pit mix. She's pretty small. She's like 45 pounds. She's very sweet. She's very athletic, and initially, she didn't want anything to do with the water either, right, Lori? And uh, we did the usual thing. We showed it to her. I got scratched all over trying to show her where the stairs were, and uh, then she finds a neighborhood playmate. And so you're developing this relationship with a very nice couple and they've got a couple of dogs, but one in particular is playing really nicely with Sky on the grass. And then in our neighbor's backyard, the dog goes in the pool and shows Sky how it's done. And Sky, a little cautious at first, but before you know it, is like diving in. And she's become a swimmer. Uh, I could never teach her, but she's learned from this other dog. It was so cute. That's the cutest thing. So now back home, she loves, you throw the ball in the water and she just do a belly flop into it, grab the, grab it and then swim on out to the edge and go up the stairs, drop the ball, do it again. Do that eight or nine times. You have a happy, tired, wet dog. It's really great. 
Peter, one last thing I want to talk about before we take our break. A lot of people think it might be a good idea to shave their dog mm. during these hot summer months. And I urge people before you do that, talk to your veterinarian or your respected groomer. Maybe your veterinarian is better um, and get their opinion because there could be drawbacks to this yeah. solution of trying to keep your pet cool by shaving him or her, including a sudden lack of insulation and decreased sun protection. We spoke about yeah. sunburns and cancer and, and causing cancer, right? So, so talk to your vet before you consider doing that. Okay. Good idea, Lori. Okay. After the break, we've got some cool, cold treats that you can make for your dogs. Cool, cold treats. Cool, cold treats. And uh, some of them you might want to eat yourself even if you want to give them a little special thing. And also, 4th of July is just around the corner. Lots of hazards related to 4th of July, fireworks, anxiety, and all that kind of stuff. We're going to chat about that. You're listening to Animals Today. Listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. Well, I'm proud to say we are now in our ninth year of weekly broadcasts, bringing you timely and critical animal news from all corners of the earth. Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, www.animalstodayradio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It is so easy to subscribe on iTunes. And when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. Pretty cool. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, and thanks for listening. We all come together and stand together to serve our veterans. We invest in the latest technology. We take the time to train the next generation of doctors and nurses. We work together to make sure we heal their bodies and their minds. This is our mission. More than 300,000 of us working as one, together with families and loved ones. No matter where they live in this country, we'll be there. We stand strong, united. Stand with us in caring for our veterans. everyone, this is Dr. Lori Kirshner, and you're listening to Animals Today. We often say that Animals Today is your home for serious talk about animals, and we certainly cover the most critical and newsworthy topics and issues affecting all animals worldwide. When you join us, you'll hear fascinating interviews with leading animal advocates from all walks of life, from lawyers to whale protectors to authors to tortoise rescuers. Animals Today brings you timely, interesting animal news, and often our guests tell us how we all can take action to help our animal friends. But you know what? Just like you, we also love our companion animals, our dogs and cats and rabbits and more. Listen in and you'll get useful advice from expert veterinarians and animal behaviorists, as well as product news and reviews and more fun stuff. So join us on Animals Today and thanks for listening. Okay, welcome back to Animals Today. Fourth of July is coming in. Lori has got some guidance for you and your pets on that. You know what bothers me the most is people who think they should bring their dogs to a 4th of July event, like a fireworks display. That is just uh, uh, crazy, but once in a while you see a not-so-smart person with their dog. Or trying to set off fireworks themselves and having their pets around them. Right, right. So uh, 
Don't do that, please. But before we get to the anxiety-inducing stimuli of 4th of July celebrations, if you wanted to give your dog a little cool treat, here are some ideas, and you can probably mix up your own, but you can use ingredients like peanut butter and little chopped up pieces of fruit like banana or apple and even watermelon and you can make them nice frozen treats like in large pieces of ice filled with these stuff or you can make a smoothie even with these and just freeze it in a brick and let them gnaw on that for a while or lick it up and uh or put it in a Kong toy oh my goodness they love that oh I love that yes (laughs) I have a big Kong toy (laughs) And there are recipes online. Some of them also use yogurt as a binder or pumpkin even. You can just freeze pureed pumpkin and make a little square out of that. Let's try that. Yeah, that's a good idea. But make sure you check online first as to what fruits are healthy to give to your pets. Some fruits, not all fruits are healthy to give to your pets and not... Not all pets can tolerate yogurt or milk-based products. Yep. But everyone likes peanut butter. Everyone likes peanut butter. Yeah. Okay, Lori, 4th of July is coming. I'm nervous. Me too. This is like my least favorite holiday because I worry about my animals and their anxiety. I know. And this is another thing that makes me just want to stay in the house and make sure everyone's okay. Exactly. I feel like a little prisoner right. around 4th of July. We never go and out. And around here, they shoot fireworks not only on the 4th of July. They shoot it the whole whole weekend. Right. And then the next weekend, they've right. got leftover, so they're shooting them then, too. It's just terrible. I can't remember the last time you and I actually went out during 4th of July or the few days that surround 4th of July. So anyway, Healthy Paws Pet Insurance asks pet parents across the country what they do to help their pets conquer fireworks-induced anxiety. Yeah. And survey results show that pet parents often use a combination of popular calming methods, including... 56% turn on music or television to drown out the noise. I like that. 54% snuggle with their pets to make them feel safe. That doesn't work for us. It doesn't work. They don't no. like snuggling. No. 30% create a safe space with their favorite toys or treats close at hand. That's a good idea. 21% dress them in a thunder shirt or those similar wraps to help with their anxiety. You know what I'm talking about there, Peter? Yeah, I'm a sort of a thundery skeptic. Yeah. 14% give them treats with CBD oil treats or, or another calming ingredient. Mm-hmm. 4% go camping or to a part of town unaffected by a firework noise, which is a great idea. Yeah, if you can find one. Right. Here are some additional strategies pet parents shared homeopathic remedies so rescue remedy skullcap valerian liquid uh-huh. melatonin yep. and essential oils in a diffuser yeah. and pets parents have started using cbd oil treats as well what do you know about any of those peter yeah i know about this valerian root extract this is an herb that people take also it's useful for anxiety they claim and if it's safe for your pets, why not try it? And then a skull cap is another plant. And uh, this is supposed to have about a dozen different beneficial attributes. So I find myself skeptical about that. But one of them includes being an anti-anxiety agent. I don't see the harm. And we've purchased in the past those diffusers that you plug in with uh-huh. lavender in them. And- yes, that calms me down. I like that. Okay. Uh-huh. And melatonin, you know, I don't have a lot of experience in melatonin in animals. I wonder, I mean, it helps you sleep 
and lots of people take it to help them fall asleep. But I, I don't know about using it like as a once in a while for anxiety. So good idea to talk to your vet about these homeopathic remedies anyway. Stay inside and let them hide some of the pet parents responded in this survey. Unfortunately, 22% of the pet parents report that nothing they've tried relieves their pet's stress during the fireworks. Many pet parents stay indoors with them, like Peter and I do, that we never let them outside alone, never. We close the curtains and act normal. One parent says, Oh yeah, act normal. Act normal. Right. Right. They will feed off your anxiety. They will know when you're stressed about this. One parent says, quote, my dogs run to my closet, so I make space for her to hide. And they chew your shoes. That's right. I know. That's not good around here. And of course, you can't let them run out. You got to keep your doors closed. So if you're going in and out, make sure they're not freaking out and try to escape. Right. Another response, I recently purchased the Privacy Pop. They make them for pets, but I bought the single bed size so I could pop up the tent and snuggle with them. They just love it. Oh, that's like a little cave. I don't like that. Oh, you don't like that? I don't know. Maybe it'll work for some people. Okay. Yeah. And then finally, sedatives. You got to be careful about this, though. Many of the pet parents surveyed responded that they gave their pets vet-approved tranquilizers mm-hmm. like Xanax and other mild sedatives. Yeah, alprazolam is Xanax. That works great but for make sure, nervous dogs. Right, make sure you get the you proper get the right dosage dose and you got to get the vet. okay, right. no interactions. Right, right, right. Uh, Don't do it yourself. Right. Right. So, Lori, what's your favorite food on 4th of July? Well, I'm just going to tell you what I like you to make me. How's that instead? I know what you like. Okay. You want me to tell you? I'm trying to have a little bit of a traditional feeling. And uh, being a vegan, uh, I like to have my veggie hot dog or veggie dog and my whole wheat bun and my baked beans and my pickle sauerkraut and beer. Yes, I knew you wouldn't forget that last item. No, beer before and after, actually. So have a happy and safe 4th of July. And keep your dogs and cats and other pets happy and safe, too. Thank you for tuning in to Animals Today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other being sharing our planet. The animals. <laughs> Your Animals Today tip of the day has to do with kittens. If you find a litter of newborn or very young kittens, do not assume the mother has abandoned them. If they are not clearly in distress, their mother is probably hunting for food or in the process of moving them. She may even be hiding nearby until you've gone. You should leave the kittens alone for a couple hours and stay far enough away so the mother feels safe to return. If she doesn't return and you're absolutely convinced they are abandoned, contact your local cat rescue group and ask for advice about your particular situation. And that is your Animals Today tip of the day.